to Pericope, the podcast for the Canterbury Episcopal Group at Columbia, Barnard, and Fordham in Uptown of the Bronx. I am Ryan Karatko, the Episcopal Chaplain. This season marks an experimental pivot from our previous experimental Bible study episodes. It's currently, as I say this, the October of 2020, uh, and the COVID pandemic has meant that our Episcopal communities are presently dispersed around the world and meeting via Zoom and Zoom Church and all the various ways that we're continuing to do that. Because we have this nifty podcast feed, we're going to leverage it to our current needs, and so two new things will be appearing here. Well, one recycled and one new. The recycled bit is that I'll be posting Canterbury's sermons here in case you miss it on Sunday, or in case you wanted to hear it again to get your incisive critique just exactly right. Or you might even have liked it, that would be okay too. The new bit is that around midweek, I'll be posting a short midweek reflection, and I'll say more about that when I get around to recording the first one, hopefully later this week. For the sermon, you'll notice that it's recorded live, and it's recorded live in my house, and so you'll hear children and babies and the tinkling of plates as my family eats dinner while I'm trying to have church. So you'll know that it's true and authentic and get to hear some of the chaos of my house in the background. The sermon for today is from October 11th, the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, If you would like to see the Bible readings on which it's based, you can look it up on any of the kind of revised common lectionary websites that exist. So please, I hope you find it enlightening and I hope it is uh, as helpful for you to hear it as it was for me to write it. talk about the wedding banquet tonight um, and Jesus' uh, Jesus's description of the wedding banquet. I mean, on the one hand, it's obviously a kind of description of his experience of the Pharisees, uh, who he's been talking to for the last several Sundays as we've had it, and throughout this section in Matthew, um, who it, it sort of becomes painfully clear throughout this whole section, Jesus feels like God's grace has been spoken to all of the Pharisees, to all of the people who are in Jerusalem and Israel and beyond. Um, and just no one has been willing to take up the tune and dance. And so that Jesus says, why can't you be, why can't you learn to be happy for a bigger, for, for more joy? Why can't, why can't this extend beyond you? Um, and so Jesus tells this parable of the wedding banquet. I think one of the things that's interesting about it too, is that it is a, it is a parable, right? It's not, he's not just blanketly criticizing the Pharisees. He tells it as a parable, I think for a variety of reasons, but one of them is so that we too can hear ourselves in it. You could tell the same story and replace Pharisees with the church, I think, and the story would hold up just as well, that God for 2,000 years has told the church, there is there is there is good news, there is good news. There's a wedding banquet to which everyone is invited. And the church has said, you know, thanks Martin Luther King Jr., but it's, we'll, 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 we think we should wait. This The change is too fast. Um, or uh, any of the other sort of great prophets who have come to the church, whether we think Francis of, uh, of long ago or Dorothy Day taking seriously the lives of the working poor. There are many ways in which it, the parable then applies to us. And I think it would be helpful in particular to think a little bit about the poor dude at the end, the dude who is wearing the wrong clothes and so is thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, 
as you might imagine, if we think that God is in the business of throwing people out who aren't dressed appropriately into some sort of outer darkness, um, this this lesson would go surprisingly poorly um, in, in with the rest of Jesus's teachings. Um, Jesus, as you may know, was not a big teacher of please wear the right clothes for the right occasions or you won't be invited again. Um, so if it doesn't mean that, then I think it's helpful to... To, to step back and think about what it means, what goes wrong for the guy who's who's not wearing his wedding robe. What's missing, it seems to be, is that he's not showing outwardly that he's that the kind of joy that comes from being at a wedding. He seems to have shown up at the wedding but not really wanted to kind of be committed to it. So I want to talk about a couple of uh, uh, some different ways we might think about that. Um, let me start with a really personal one, so you'll have to tolerate it. Um, so let's talk about how I learned how to dance, right? So um, when I went to church camp, like way back in the Stone Age, when God was still God was still young and Jesus hadn't come yet, um, there was um, there was uh, I, I, church camp was a place for me that really sort of saved my life. It was a place like literally, it was a place that where I I could be myself um, and was invited to be myself by the community that was there in a way that I couldn't at other places in my life. And uh, one of the sort of great traditions of that community was to have a dance at the end of summer camp on on that Friday night. And um, it was mostly people who danced very poorly. It was not a people who were very popular or great dancers. But they danced with great abandon to songs that they liked. Not necessarily great dancing songs, I might even add. Um, although I have particular fond memories of the Time Warp from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, and some of the other things that we would dance to. Um, and what I learned was that there's a certain point at which you just have to kind of let it go. You have to quit worrying about who you are and what you look like. And you've got to just enjoy it and look like another goofy white guy on the floor. That's that that that. That's how it is. That's that's and and not, it's not even about becoming comfortable with who I am. It's about just being there and quit worrying at all about the nature of identity. Um, if you want sort of like a more methodical or theological way, I highly commend the third series of rooms in Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle. Um, Teresa writes a book called Interior Castle about how, what it's like to step into the inner life of prayer. Um, and and it, in, in Interior Castle, she describes at great length how ultimately we, dis, we, we, we learn that our soul is infinite, that our identity is undefined, um, but that God too is infinite and illuminates the whole soul. And God is in many ways the larger infinity of the two. So it's a really complicated book in a lot of ways written in a really conversational tone. Um, and if the book is broken up into sections where that are sort of like stages, they're not hard and fast, but they're just sort of like rules of thumb. And one of my very favorite stages is the, is the third stage. And the third stage is where you've begun praying and you've learned a lot about the Bible and you've learned a lot about what it means to be good. And in the third series of rooms, she writes, all of us just try our best to be virtuous. We're just trying to be good. We're trying to make the right decisions. We're trying to be good people. I'm trying to be the best me that I can be. And Teresa says, this is a very problematic set of rooms. 
it turns out it's really problematic to think about being virtuous all the time or trying to do the right thing or worrying about who I am. And she says, this is ultimately because in the end, it's just another way of reifying self-obsession. To try and always be virtuous, to try and always be good, to try and always do the right thing is to just another way of being self-obsessed. It's just another way of being focused on me instead of on the light that illuminates me on God. It's to continue to look at myself instead of uh, the, the beauty of the divine. And she says, it's always tricky to get people out of this stage. Mostly you just have to sit and listen to them and feel bad for them, um, which I think is very funny. Uh, but she makes all kinds of suggestions. She suggests yelling at them and seeing if that will work or laughing at them and seeing if that will work. Uh, the thing you can't really do is just encourage it. You can't just sit and say, well, maybe if you tried harder or maybe if you just were virtuous. At a certain point, she says, you, it, you just have, they just have to let it go. They just have to quit worrying so much about themselves. They just have to kind of vanish into the thing that they love instead of into worrying about how they look. At a certain point, they just have to they just have to dance. Um, and that and that that experience becomes the most important thing. Um, in, in chapter four, which is then the next row of this fourth section of rooms, she describes it as the difference between building a really long series of pipes to get water somewhere. She describes prayer in, in the early stages as building a really, you build a long series of pipes and if you work hard and you pump hard, you get a little bit of water at the end. Um, but there comes a moment at which <coughs> we become like a well and the water just kind of rises up in us and we just, we just experience, we just experience divinity. We just experience love and it changes. It fills us up. It changes what's important to us. It changes, it begins to change the nature of who we are. It's not done. She says most people really end here in the fourth series of rooms. She's got three more um, to talk about what, how that experience changes us. But I'm just, I'm mindful of that. I'm mindful about what it's like for me to dance um, at a wedding, especially. And I'm mindful about what it's like when Teresa talks about how even in trying to be right, we become self-obsessed. I think the problem of the person who shows up at the wedding banquet is that he has not made that kind of commitment. <laughs> He's not made that kind of joy of not the joy of trying to do the right thing, but the joy of just letting go and accepting that he's at the wedding banquet and being there and putting on the wedding robe, which everyone else has. So I presume they were handed out and instead just just going, just being there, uh, just falling in love, just dancing, um, just letting go of all of our self-obsession. So rather, I think, than worry about um, outer darkness and gnashing of teeth, I think it's more helpful to hear the point of the lesson as the one as it's angled to the Pharisees and it's angled to the church, which is a lesson about uh, not only how everyone might turn out to be surprised at how big the wedding banquet is and how big the invitation list is. Um, but also that if we really, if we want to come to the wedding banquet, we should come prepared to celebrate to quit being so obsessed with ourselves and worry about whether we belong there and worry about who else belongs there. And instead to put on a robe and dance and have a nice dinner and be glad to be at the wedding. I think it's a kind of beautiful picture of, of Christian life. It's also a kind of intense call that what, what defines us, <coughs> excuse me, what we're called to 
is this powerful sense of uh, that putting Christ first, falling in love, um, has to change our concern with always being right, with always being virtuous, with all, doing the right, doing the good thing. As we hear this um, in the midst of our life, I'm just aware that this being a Columbia and Barnard crowd, I mean, you all are obsessed with doing the right thing and with your your with who you want to be and what and what your life is called to be. And I think, as Teresa says, those aren't wrong. Those aren't the wrong kinds of questions. Um, I, 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 those those are my kinds of questions too. But what helps us define that is falling in love, is vanishing into beauty, is. It, falling into God is um, being in love with the divine is dancing. That's what begins to help make sense of those selves and to make sense of all those kinds of questions as we begin to work through them. And it means we've got to let go. We've got to let go of 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 our the way that our mind often wants to ask those kinds of questions. I think that can be helpful to us. But I also think it's maybe just helpful at our time of national crisis. Um, I think maybe it is helpful to remember that the calling of who we are called to be are people who very unexpectedly were invited to a wedding banquet and were, decided, were invited to be happy about it. <laughs> that that's the, that is the, that's the basic Christian picture of the world, that we suddenly find ourselves at a wedding banquet and it's we're called to, to live into that and to be happy. That won't resolve all of the kind of hard decisions that we need to make and that won't resolve the fact that everyone needs to vote and it won't resolve the fact that we need to be politically involved and it won't resolve the fact that we have a lot of work to do and we live in an unjust world. <clears throat> but the place to begin, the place to begin that the, the work, the place that we're fed from to do that work comes from dancing. It comes from falling in love. It comes from putting on our wedding robe and belonging. That's what that that's that's what's got to come first. Otherwise, I think actually we just we just find our own selves in the outer darkness, gnashing our teeth, trying hard to do the things that we can't make sense of. So, as we all stumble through what is, in my experience, often the most painful part of the semester, or one of them, I would invite us to to consider the wedding banquet the one that we are all called to, the one that welcomes us, and consider the value in putting on a wedding robe and finding some time to dance and to be in love with God. I come with joy to meet my Lord, Thanks for joining us today. If you like what you hear, please feel free to share it around. You can find our podcast on our website, CanterburyNYC.org, under the Uptown section, or from your usual podcast streaming services. If you'd like to comment, feel free to send me an email, chaplain.ryan at CanterburyNYC.org. Our music today is Cold Funk by the great and good Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Uh, and you can find the Creative Commons license uh, that we're using on, in the show notes. Outro music this week is, of course, the Canterbury Choir singing I Come With Joy. And the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all always always is in such a
Speak his praise.